Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, April 23rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Joe Biden wants to raise taxes on America's wealthiest citizens. And as economies rebound from the pandemic, we'll look at one commodity whose price is soaring. Plus, the U.S. Senate just approved a bill to address hate crimes against Asian Americans. We'll talk to the FT's data journalist, Christine Zong, about why Asian Americans are too often missing from the numbers. It can feel like an overly broad term sometimes, and you feel like, okay, so now we're all in this one category. Is this how everyone just sees us? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. U.S. President Joe Biden is set to announce tax increases on wealthy Americans as soon as next week. It's to pay for an increase in funding for child care and education. The changes would reverse some of Donald Trump's 2017 tax cuts. The capital gains tax for Americans making more than a million dollars a year could almost double. Also in the package is an increase in the top income tax rate. Investors weren't thrilled by Thursday's news. The big U.S. stock indices all ended the day down nearly 1%. Despite yesterday's dip in the stock markets, equities for the most part have been heading higher as investors grow more and more confident about the U.S. economy. Commodity prices are higher as well. One commodity that's really booming is wood. I've got the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin, on the line to find out what's going on with wood futures. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Uh, Katie, remind us a future in this context. What is it? So yeah, here with futures, we're talking about contracts that people use to lock in the price of lumber a little bit further in the future, as the name suggests. And they're up about 50% this year. But also, if you're buying the preferred wood for home building, I'm sure we all have a favorite wood. Of course. (laughs) The industry standard, as I'm sure you're aware, is uh, Western spruce pine fir, which is up 30% to over $1,200. And this is like well above the average that's held for the past 15 or so years. You know, long-time specialists in the market are just absolutely stunned by what's been going on in, in lumber this year. And there's already been calls for some sort of government intervention. Right. There, there's actually a suggestion out there for the Biden administration to reduce tariffs on imports from Canada, which is the top lumber exporter to the U.S., because uh, right now the higher price is, is ultimately just going to fall on consumers. Um, Katie, why were lumber suppliers not better prepared for this influx in demand? Well, the thing is, it takes quite a while to grow trees. So if you don't have enough wood, you know, it's not something you can just click your fingers and, you know, dig it out the ground or whatever. It's, you know, it takes a long time to turn these things around. So one of the big expectations last year when the pandemic hit was just, you know, shut down a load of production because we're not going to need all of this wood. Instead, what happened was that there was, you know, house building continued at a much faster pace than people were expecting. And also everyone got the DIY bug. And so there was just much more demand for for lumber than, than people were expecting. So what you ended up with is that last year, a lot of the sort of stockpiles that had been built up of wood just got used up and the supply of new wood coming through ready to use, you know, sawn and into the right shapes, just that hadn't happened yet. And so that's why you've just got this enormous acceleration in the price. 
Right. And that whole, let's, you know, just to back up and unpack that home building boom for a second. That's largely because people think that this work from home thing is is going to last, or at least there's going to be some sort of hybrid working model that people want more space if they're going to be stuck at home all the time. Exactly. They want more space. Maybe they want an office in the garden. Maybe they want to build themselves a whole new house in the countryside. You know, there's a lot of people getting out of the cities. So that's all feeding into this. And and one of the reasons why this matters is that this tells you quite a lot about how manufacturing comes back after the pandemic. It's about bottlenecks in supply and it's about suddenly running at 100 miles an hour from running at zero miles an hour for months and months and there are lots of different parts of you know hospitality and manufacturing and all sorts of different industries around the world that are really finding it difficult to go from a standing start into meeting pent-up demand. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thank you Katie. You're welcome. There was a rare bipartisan moment in the U.S. Congress yesterday. Both parties came together in the Senate and approved a bill called the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act. It's aimed at improving law enforcement's ability to respond to hate crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. This comes after the murder of six Asian American women around Atlanta and after a sharp rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans during the pandemic. Now, this recent public focus on Asian communities is rare. They're often invisible from public discussion. The FT's Christine Zong says one reason for this has to do with data. She joins me now to talk more about this. Hey, Christine. Hi. Christine, you're Asian American and you just published a a personal commentary about this for the FT. What gave you the idea to write it? Yeah. um, Shortly after I spoke to a group of college students. Um, So as a data reporter at the FT, sometimes I get invited to talk with different college students. In this case, it was a group of data science students. This happened like just a week after the mass shootings uh, near Atlanta, Georgia. And specifically, I was thinking about like you know, I'm supposed to be an ambassador for data journalism and to tell students about how great data is for reporting all aspects of news stories. And it is great, but like a lot of it can miss really vulnerable or marginalized or minority communities, especially on my mind, were Asian American communities. So, Christine, why are Asian Americans so overlooked in the data? Yeah, I think part of it comes down to statistics. So most surveys aim for a sample size of around 1,000 respondents. But then if you think about the Asian American population as a percentage of the U.S. population, that's 5.9%. So such a survey with like 1,000 respondents would only have 59 Asian American respondents. And that is way too small a sample size at which to make any sorts of like significant or substantial inferences. Um, And so I think that's one big reason. It's just a matter of sample size. And it's also a matter of cost. So I spoke with the founder of AAPI Data, and he told me that it could take a survey company millions of dollars to produce um, a sample of Asian Americans with all of the major underlying ethnicities broken out and language support for respondents that need it. And that's a lot of money. That's like 20 times the cost of a nationally representative survey without 
Asian Americans and all of the underlying ethnicities broken out. And as I understand it, just defining the Asian American Pacific Islander community in data is is pretty difficult, right? Uh, yeah, it is. Identity is a very complex issue. I mean, even for me, as somebody who identifies as Asian American, it, it can feel like an overly broad term sometimes because it is kind of like masking more than 48 different underlying ethnicities, right? And hundreds of different languages that are spoken. And you feel like, okay, so now we're all in this one category. Is this how everyone just sees us? From the Census Bureau's income data, we see that um, Asian Americans have a very high income inequality. I think this is along with a variety of like socioeconomic measures. Uh, it's really something in which the data can itself perpetuate kind of harmful stereotypes, um, such as the model minority stereotype. Like, sure, you take the average median household income of Asian Americans, and it's the highest out of like all of the ma- major race categories in the U.S. But then you disag- if you disaggregate the average, you can see that like the difference between the lowest and the highest is actually, I think, the the greatest gap. So I think those kinds of harmful stereotypes happen because the disparities are hidden in the average data. So given all this, uh, how do you go about fixing the data? And given the big holes in the data that you know exist, what does that mean for your work as a data journalist and as as a storyteller? Yeah, that's a really hard question to answer. I think all too often data is used as almost like a weapon to say like, you know, forget about whatever you say, you feel, this is what the data show. And I think that can be useful in some ways, um, less useful in others. And I think like, there's a saying that the plural of anecdote is not data. I think it's also flipped the other way around. The plural of anecdote is data. I don't like really know what (laughs) that saying means, but I I often feel like it's trying to pit an anecdote against data as if there are these two like countervailing forces, like there's someone's story and then there's the data that's going to like uncover the truth. But like maybe the truth is somewhere in between, right? Or maybe the story um, is important in and of itself, even if there is no data to quote unquote back it up. I think anti-Asian hate crimes is a great example. In the U.S., police reported hate crimes data are just very unreliable. Um, so, you know, people say, okay, well, how, how can you prove there was a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes if you say the data is so flawed and imperfect? And, you know, I think that's not even the right argument, right? The right argument is maybe there are more people who are feeling empowered to report than ever before. Maybe there is more cell phone footage of these attacks, and so it's bringing more attention but like, regardless, it's really important to recognize that this is happening and it's not something that's ever going to be measured in any kind of precise way, which is why I think like the best data stories are not only the stories in which you can see yourself in the data, but also the stories that like try to treat data points as people and try to tell the stories of the people that fall behind the numbers. Christine Zhang is a data journalist for the FT. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much.
You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.